Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Matt Goes to the Movies. We are rolling along here with the multiverse. We are finally here. Spider-Man Far From Home. Probably a little bit more excitement uh, in me for this episode because it means I am a day away from officially seeing No Way Home, which I have probably not been this excited uh, since my anticipation for Endgame. So... With that being said, I absolutely could not do this episode without some help. So my two multiverse um, partners, Rob and Harrison, are back. Rob, I'll start with you. Welcome back. It, it seemed like this was going to take a long time, but man, has this gone by, this marathon of Spider-Man movies. Uh, it, it's felt like the blink of an eye, so to speak. It's almost like we blipped through it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's almost like somebody snapped his fingers and bang, we're, we're at the end of this thing talking about the last film in the lead up. Uh, I'm so glad that we had this idea to do it because this it's something that I kind of wanted to do anyways. There's no chance I would have made the time otherwise to sit down and, and rewatch all of these on the lead up. And I'm so glad that we did um, just because whatever is going to happen in Far From Home. I'm sorry. Geez, there's too many home titles in uh, No Way Home. Um, I kind of want to be able to catch anything they throw at us. I want to be able to enjoy every little Easter egg. And uh, and honestly, just these are great, fun films. Even the ones that are bad have moments that are fun. Um, and I'm, I'm and it gave me an excuse to watch the two amazing films that I'd never seen before. So I am so glad that we did this. Me too. And with that brings Harrison from the basement binge. Harrison, welcome. Uh, just like me, I believe you are you are going to see No Way Home tomorrow. Is it? Yeah, tomorrow night. So I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Rob, you made a great point of you know watching these as close as we have if again it, it's all speculation at this point um i have done my best to stay off social media and the internet just to avoid as much as i can because talking to people and hearing some things there are so many spoilers out on the web right now for no way home but watching these movies you know in succession this close I do think it was a great refresher to catch some, you know, hopefully little callbacks, Easter eggs, whatever may be happening in No Way Home. So uh, this has been a lot of fun. We hope listeners, you know, first and foremost, thank you for, you know, coming along with this this journey with us and we hope you've enjoyed it. So we're going to get started here with the watch rating. Watch rating, it is based on three scales, high, medium, or low. How rewatchable is this movie? And along with that, if you listen to our Spider-Man Homecoming episode, it, we are going to list where we originally had this. Rob and I did an Infinity War Saga recap on Matt Goes to the Movies. Harrison himself did a whole binge, you know, hence the name of the show, of the Marvel movies and ranked them. So, Rob, I'll let you go first with your watch rating along with where you originally had this movie when we recapped the MCU you know, what feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> it was the very first show that you and I did together. Uh, so it's it's kind of fun. You know, we started with the, the MCU uh, rankings and I had a great time doing that. Um, so I, I really love that you introduced a, a watch rating because a real rating and a watch rating are really two different things. A watch rating to me kind of represents a film's entertainment value. 
do you enjoy yourself while you're watching it? Would you ever take a chance to watch it again? And, and that's different than thinking about a film critically. Does the plot make sense? Does every scene land? Do you really feel like the editing is tight? Is the score well done? You know, are the, is the cast well done? Like, did they choose the right people for these roles? Those are two completely separate things. So I do have some problems with this movie. I have some some pretty big problems with some of the major uh, plot points of this movie. But in terms of a watch rating, which is just to me, my watch ratings are based on just the level of entertainment I have watching this film. Uh, this is a high. This is a very high watch rating. Uh, if my kids are like, Daddy, let's watch Spider-Man Far From Home. All right, let's put it on. I'm good. Uh, which, by the way, is a little tough because it's not streaming anywhere, which is really weird to think in this day and age that this film would not have been gobbled up by somebody bidding on it. I, I'm not sure where the rights really sit right now. I know that's really tough to figure out at times. Um, but I was very surprised that this was not actually streaming anywhere. So going back to when we first did the full Infinity Saga... Uh, out of the 23 films that had been originally uh, released as part of the Infinity Saga before we moved into Phase 4, I had this film at 16th. And that's to me where they kind of like the, from 17 down are films that I probably wouldn't watch again on purpose. So for me, it's Iron Man 2, Thor, Hulk, Iron Man 3, Guardians 2, Age of Ultron, and Dark World that's probably the, where it starts to be films that I'm just not going to watch again on purpose. Uh, 16 and up, I'll watch again anytime. And then I, I kind of, after that got posted, I, I actually revised it a little bit and, and I moved it up to 13 just because I didn't think I, I gave this film credit um, for where it is. So uh, that was where it was at the time. Um, on my subsequent rewatch, I actually move it back down to 16. That's where I that's where I feel it la it, it belongs out of the original 23 uh, Infinity Saga films. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know it's an interesting recap there about the difference between what the watch rating is and what the real rating will be later on in the show. So, Harrison, I'm going to kick it over to you next with. You know, what is your watch rating and the same thing? Where did you have this and, and has it changed? Yeah, so watch rating for me, this is really, really hard because there's parts of this film that I love, elements of it that I really love. But as a whole, I got a lot of problems with it. Uh, not problems with it. That, that's the wrong term. I, I could point out problems with it, but as who people are going to listen to the whole episode, you'll hear me eventually kind of get to it. I there's not so much like this thing here or this thing here that makes me dislike it. It's just like I, for a few reasons that we'll get into when we do, I just, I'm not connected to it, right? So I can watch it. I can enjoy elements of it. I can enjoy aspects of it, but I've just, you know, it's over and it's like, okay, right. All right. That was done. You know, like onto whatever's next. It, it has no lasting value to me. So I would never uh, like walk away from this or if someone else wanted to watch it, I would never be opposed to that. Um, but outside of it, like an outside force uh, telling me to watch it again, I, I don't think I will. Um, you know, I, I might like queue up a scene from the movie and watch a scene. Uh, but I, watching the whole thing, it will only be with someone else for me. So it's a meeting. And it, but watching it, like if I do watch it with someone else, I'm not going to hate, be hating my life by any means. Um, so where is my rating? Originally, right before we started recording this, I told Matt that it was at 13 
including phase four. I'm going to jump it down. Actually, I'm like looking at my list here way quick. It's going to be at uh, 17. No, 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 no. Hold on. I'm, I'm miscounting here. It would be at, yeah, 17. Sorry, I had to do some math way quick. Yeah, it's going to be a 17 for me, including phase four. So, All right. So this is where it's going to be really, really interesting because, okay, watch rating for me, this is high. I really enjoy this movie. I think it does a very good job continuing off of Homecoming. Uh, I also think it does a very good job being you know, tasked with being the movie that bookends the entire Infinity Saga as we knew it and coming after the mega success that was Endgame. Uh, I still feel like it does enough to make it feel like its own movie. I love the cast. Uh, I really love Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. So the watch rating for me is high. I could pop this on at any time and still get enjoyment out of it. And where I'm really going to be interested to to hear, you know, where your guys' flaws, problems, you know, where you don't really connect to this movie is because, you know, when Rob and I did our recap, I had this at number six, um, which means I like it more than I liked Homecoming. And if you listen to the last episode, you know, I really liked Homecoming. So I have not been able to see anything from phase four yet. Um so I can't say whether it would move up or down given these other movies that have come out, but this was number six on my list out of the original film. So I'm going to be super, super interested to hear what you guys think. So with that being said, we're going to get into popcorn time where we go into full spoilers. So listeners, if you have not seen this movie, you're kind of taking this journey with us and you're watching these movies as we're going along. You know, this is where you would pause this episode and and go watch the movie and come back and then get the spoilers because we're grabbing our popcorn. We're going to start talking about spoilers. So Harrison, I'm going to pose this question to you first and Rob, I'll let you follow up. One of my things that I really like about this movie is I think it still continues the trend of Parker being represented as he still is just a kid. Um, You know, one of his lines in this movie is I just want to go on a trip with a girl that I like. Um, I'm forgetting the exact phrase, but he just, he wants to go on a trip. He wants to leave his suit at home. He's still dealing with the death of Tony Stark. And I think this movie does a great job continuing the story from Homecoming. So I want to start there, but I also think that from some of the things that I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot of chatter about the fact that this movie doesn't feel like it exists other than to just bookend what we just got. Um, So I'll be curious to hear, you know, your thoughts and maybe get into a little bit of maybe where are some of the missteps? Are they in the beginning of this movie or do we have to wait until we get a little bit further into the plot? Yeah. Um, I'll jump in and go first that it's weird because I agree with you that I think they do a good job at showing Peter Parker still being young. Um, and as like a characterization, I think that's really good as a story element or a plot point. I don't like it because I feel like everything that Peter learned from homecoming, they just redo. Like, it feels really cheap to me, uh, especially because this film also 
of no fault to of its own, has to be the bookend for everything that was Endgame. And so trying to do that and trying to balance that with an individual story for Peter, to me, makes Peter's story seem not as uh, strong, not as... Uh, yeah, it did. So it, it's interesting because I, I feel like it does struggle from trying to book an endgame while also like trying to pretend that everything's the same thing so that Peter Parker can continue without it being like too depressing. You know, like these are pretty lighthearted movies and to try and talk about how life would be impossible uh, after people randomly coming back five years later. I feel like it's just kind of like, oh yeah, there's a blip. Okay, let's move on so we can... I don't know. So, th- so those are the main things. It's weird that like all the things you said you liked, I'm like, no, I don't like it. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly why I'm, you know, I- I'm so curious because it, again, it feels like we have some very, very different opinions um, about this movie. So I- I'm just so, you know, fascinated with, with your guys' thoughts on this. So Rob, I'll, you know, I'll let you go next and, you know, if you want to just piggyback off what Harrison said, or if you want to kind of go into some other details and we'll start getting into what the, you know, the actual plot of this movie is after that. Sure. So when we originally did our MCU rankings, the comment that I made about this show, and I, and I, I stand by the comment that this, the, the infinity saga was so major, so massive an undertaking, such an unbelievable, storytelling experience that they had to release a blockbuster feature film to serve as its true epilogue. And that's really where I think this film sits. This is really the epilogue to the infinity saga. And one of the things we talked about with homecoming was how some of the criticism about homecoming was that it was, it was Iron Man four and it wasn't really a Peter Parker story, which I completely disagree. I actually think this film Tony and his, the shadow of Tony casts over this film so much more and in so much more impactful of a way than than even Homecoming, where, where I truly did think that was that was Peter's story. And, and this is Peter's story as well. But you can't, you know, Iron Man and, and Tony infect almost every aspect of this movie. Um, and it's it's hard to. I don't know. I, I kind of wanted this to be a lot more about Peter. I, I like that they kind of address the blip towards the beginning in a comedic way. Because if you think about how messed up the blip actually is and and the consequences of it, and we see this explored further in, in the Marvel TV shows that have come out um, in a variety of different ways, certainly in a, in a geopolitical way in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I love that the first time it's really addressed uh, and the consequences and the fallout from it are in a movie that's that's very lighthearted and just a lot of fun. And you can kind of have fun with the idea of what actually happened there because uh, it's really dark and sad and depressing <laughs> if you really get down to think about it. So I really like that that's, that's what they bring us here. And I I do still think that this is a movie primarily about Peter. I I think there's a lot of things that feel uh, recycled from the first movie, but I still think there's, I think it's a, it's the 2.0 version. It's not, it's not him necessarily relearning all the same lessons. I think he's faced with new problems um, while still trying to be a kid. Yeah. You know, he's, he's 16. I think when this, when this takes place, no more than 17. Um, and that's where 
some criticisms I had about the first movie about adults putting a kid in harm's way needlessly. I kind of have those same problems and, and where I really start to have some major problems uh, with this movie is around the whole concept of Edith uh, being kind of willed from Tony to Peter. We're talking about a, a human who is just barely entrusted with a driver's license at this point. And now Tony gives him a set of sunglasses, which by the way, don't come with an instruction manual of any sort. Just Fury's like, here kid, put these on. It's Tony sunglasses. I don't know what they do. You have them. He wanted you to have them. Just has a little note in there. He puts them on all of a sudden he can hack phones and he can do all kinds of stuff and he can launch highly advanced weapons from outer space that can do pretty much anything. Uh, he's got, I mean, Edith almost becomes like the infinity gauntlet with all the power that it gives him. And he gives it to a kid without any safeguards, without any training, without any guidance at all. It just goes, here you go. Um, it's, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's, it, and that's really, it, it's very distracting. Um, it's hard to just kind of not think about as you're watching this and you realize the power that this thing has. Um, the Tony's just like, here you go. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, so what we get into more of those points, I mean, uh, the the plot of this movie is, you know, him dealing with getting over Tony and really kind of being dubbed like the next Iron Man. There's, you know, he's got a lot of publicity behind him. There's a huge shadow of Tony in this. Um, and he meets Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who I'll get out of the way now, I think was fantastic uh, in this movie. I think he does incredibly well and. I'm going to give the MCU major props for actually making a insanely accurate Mysterio costume for this movie. Um, and this is where we get our first sort of, oh, the multiverse exists because he says he's from Earth, you know, when Peter meets him after a really, I think, great scene with an introduction to the elementals. You know, he says he's from Earth, just not our Earth. So this really kind of kicks off the fact that there are other worlds and that they're just completely okay with this. Like Fury's like, yeah, you know, there's there's more than one Earth, whatever. Um, and it takes on like a mentor role where Mysterio is really mentoring Peter and, you know, trying to help him because he's been through these things before. These elementals have destroyed his world and he doesn't want it to happen here. So... You know, going on this trip, uh, Harrison, I'll once again kick it back to you first. You know, where does this kind of start to, I, I don't want to say fall off the rails, um, where does it start to take missteps here, you know, in this story where there are things that you don't like about this movie? Um, yeah, let me just first say that I agree with you that Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic. I love Mysterio. Mysterio is really, really fun the second time around or the third or, you know, on a rewatch when you understand what he's doing and what type of character he is. A lot of fun, um, you know, and, and seeing how things are drones from the beginning and seeing the deception from the beginning and those types of things. A really, really great part of the film. Something that doesn't work for me is that I don't understand. And maybe I'm thinking about this way too much, but I 
it, it's something that is genuinely on my mind during the film. Um, I can understand Peter's relationship to, to Iron Man and Tony and, and trying to fill those shoes. But to me, it feels kind of forced that the public would be viewing, are you going to be the next Iron Man? Um, and that Iron Man would kind of give off, you know, with Edith would kind of give off the idea that he needs to be the best Iron Man, like, or the next Iron Man. What about every, literally anybody else who's not a kid? Um, I mean, I know the public doesn't know that, at least not yet. But I don't know. It, it just, it seems really, really forced to me and not like, uh, not very real. It, it makes the film feel really isolated um, that it's like, oh, hey, we just told this really, really huge, expansive story in Endgame. We got a book in it. But let's just, like, reduce all that so we can just focus on Spider-Man. And that's that's a problem that can happen with a lot of the MCU, both in good ways and in bad ways, where, you know, they have these big crossover events and it's interconnected, but then we also still have to tell individual stories, whether it's a TV show or whatever it is, you know, it, it can make things kind of feel disconnected. Um, and that they just, like, shrink and expand the universe at whenever they want. Um but that, to me, it, it feels the strongest there because it's like, oh, let's forget everybody else. Um, you know, let's... Fr- I, yeah, I could list so many people, but, you know, let's just go straight to, let's go straight to Spider-Man being the next Iron Man, and, and that takes me out a lot. Um, especially just because I feel like the journey of living up to that responsibility works so much better for me in Homecoming. Like, when it... I, I think it's done well here. I think it's partially because I have such a strong attachment to homecoming, like we talked about in that episode, that when some of those things happen here, I'm like, oh, but I like it better in homecoming. And and, uh, maybe I'm just comparing too much. Maybe I should just let this film be what it is. Uh, Like I said, it's kind of hard to explain. It's it's just kind of like a general disconnection to it where just the entire thing just feels like, meh. Like, Like it just feels like another step along the path that will soon be forgotten. I, I I'm not gonna say no. I'm not gonna say like I I agree because still I, I I don't think my opinion will change. Maybe you know maybe on another rewatch, but I I really am enjoying the idea so far of you know why these things don't work. Um, because I can I can definitely see the logic behind these points as to why this you know some of these things that work for me don't seem to be working. So. Rob, I'll let you go next. You know, do you agree with that? Is there a little bit more deep-rooted things for you that don't work? Um, because before we recorded, I think you had a pretty a, a pretty accurate description of how you like really feel about this movie. If you want to get into that now, or if we're saving that, no, I'll go right ahead. So, I I want to hate this movie, but I love it too much, and I want to love this movie, but I kind of hate it too much. And, and what I mean by that is the small things about this movie work phenomenally well. Like you had both said, Jake Gyllenhaal, he is fantastic. Uh, Tom Holland, once again, fantastic. Every scene he's in with another actor is fantastic. And their chemistry with each other, um, is, you know, when we get Peter and Happy in a scene together, those, those two are so good. Um, it's, they're so, so good. Uh, Marissa Tomei, once again, as Aunt May, is so, so good. I love their relationship. We talked about this with Homecoming. It's it's a different version of the Aunt May-Peter Parker relationship than we've ever seen in anything else. And I like it. And it works. And 
I like that he can talk to her about, he's obviously very open with her about his feelings and his relationships in a lot of ways that I think kids are maybe afraid to talk about with a a, a true mother figure or true, you know, a mother father figure in their lives. So this really makes her feel a lot more like that, that older sister, that cool aunt so much more than, than the mother figure that she's kind of become for him. Uh, so I like that. Um, there's so many little things, you know, uh, uh, when we have uh, Kobe Smulders and Sam Jackson together, every time they're on screen together, I just think, why do we not have them in a solo film? Why do we not have them in their own series? It could take place pre-Avengers, which just them doing spy stuff. I want to see that. Would you guys watch that? Because I'd watch oh the crap gosh. out of that. 100%. I mean, 100%. I would watch the crap out of the two of them just doing spy stuff. Like, give it give it to me every day of the week. Give me them in Mission Impossible, James Bourne style movies. And I'll just, to steal Harrison's phrase, I'm just Jack-Jack, just eating it up. Just give it to me. I, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> um, so those things work really, really well. Peter and Ned. Every time they're together, it's fantastic. The the growing, budding love story between MJ and Peter. I I want to just say that I hate tropes. I, I absolutely hate tropes. So what I love about both of these Spider-Man movies is they've specifically fought against a lot of tropes. So Flash is still kind of the bully, but he's not the dumb jock. He's actually on the science team. Like he's on academic decathlon. So he's a bully, but he's a smart one. It's a different version of the bully character. You know, in the first movie we had both MJ, we didn't know her as MJ at the time and Liz, both the pretty girls are also the smart girls. We don't always get that. And in this one, in many cases, the person who the film is following or the TV show is following, they're awkward and unable to sort of speak properly to the person they're interested in. And the person they're interested in always seems to be have their wits about them. But I love that both MJ and Peter are kind of shy and awkward around each other because that's more how it works in real life. And I just I love the way that they wrote those scenes and those characters. And I love the way that both those characters play them. So there's all of these things that I love, um, but some of the big things, like I said, I just can't get over just, and I, and actually, as I was thinking more about it, after I turned it, the film off earlier tonight, you could almost take Edith completely out of this movie and it almost wouldn't matter. You could probably very easily rewrite this movie without Edith and I would like it a lot more and it wouldn't really present much of a problem. And it's it's little things like that. So so if I'm telling you, you can do that, then why does it need to be there? Because that's really one of my biggest problems is it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, like I said, the funny moments, the, the charm of this movie is there just like it was for the first one. And that's why I want to love this movie so much um, is all of those things plus that little bit of charm. Wow. I, I just want to follow it up super quick, Matt, and say I feel yeah. like Rob just explained something in my brain that I, I have been struggling with ever since this movie came out. Uh, and I think that that is one reason that I'm kind of polarized towards it is because every one of those things I absolutely love. And the action is another thing that I think is phenomenally well done. Um, but every single time I get one of those moments, I, it reminds me of the disappointment I have in the rest of the film. And it's like, oh, I wish I could like this more. Um, and then makes me just more endeared to Homecoming. I think my adoration for that is kind of infectious in a negative way. Um, 
so yeah, I, Rob, thank you for like explaining my own thought process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, again, Rob, I mean, I can't like, I can't f- sit there and say like, no, I, I completely disagree. Uh, I mean, anybody knows that we don't really do that. Um, except about the last Jedi, except about the last Jedi, of course, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I will say, Rob, you talked about like tropes and everything else. Um, you know, one of the ones that I, I do really like too, that they didn't fall into is I forget the character's, uh, name, but, uh, when Peter is going to get changed and he's caught, um, with the girl, that like i love the fact that it doesn't turn into this weird awkward like mj is mad at him stuff and they Mm. avoid and they avoid that because that's you know that's one of those movie tropes where five seconds of an explanation is all like is all that's needed and it's over and done with um so I like the fact that they didn't go there. I do really, I I really like to, um, I, I have to give like a special like shout out to the fact that JB smooth um, has a, you know, a bigger role in this movie. Um, so JB smooth is um, one of my favorite characters in a show called curb your enthusiasm on HBO with Larry David. Um, I absolutely love him and I think he's hysterical. So I love the fact that he's in this. But going back to Peter and MJ, I really love that scene on the bridge where they're just walking and he's like, so I just have something to tell you. And she's like, you're Spider-Man. <laughs> like, yeah, you're n- no, I'm not. He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you are like and I like the fact that they Rob, you alluded to this. I really do like the fact that they don't treat her like an idiot because the way that you know, Peter is in these first two movies. You think somebody, you think the way they present some of these characters as being intelligent, they would catch on to the fact that like, this, where would this kid actually go? Like what's actually going on here? Um, So I like the fact that they present it with, and that, you know, there is that little humor moment where she's like, I was only like, 65 70% sure that you're actually Spider-Man. He's like, uh, no, no, I'm I'm actually Spider-Man. We have to go. Um, I I do like the fact though that she's smart enough to catch on that something's a mess here when he when he goes places. But let's be honest, how smart do you have to be to notice that Peter all of a sudden has mad gymnastic skills just like out of nowhere when the when the water elemental attacks? And then all of a sudden, a guy in a Mardi Gras mask dressed in the exact same shirt as Peter suddenly moves and fights like Spider-Man. I mean, (laughs) you don't have to be on academic decathlon to figure that one out. Likewise, when they see a guy in a black suit that kind of looks like Spider-Man's suit, but just black, all of a sudden uh, fights like Spider-Man and shoots webs like Spider-Man. He shows up at the same time that Peter's in that city and he disappears I, yeah, um, <laughs> you don't you don't have to be a genius to to kind of put two and two together. Yeah, I will say people still don't know that Clark Kent is Superman. <laughs> it's because no yeah. one pays attention to Clark Kent, right? Um, did you also notice because there's uh, there's a really funny meme that came from this movie where they actually make fun of the fact that people are like super like people in hats and like glasses are the stupidest disguise ever. And I didn't realize like 
all the times Mysterio is actually in the background watching Peter and he's in a hat. Like, did you guys notice that, that he's actually oh, in I the back? brilliant. Like he's actually in the background with just a hat. And like, I never noticed him in the movie. Uh, I think you just blew my mind a little bit. I don't know that I knew that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, so maybe on your next rewatch, it's, you know, use the, the where's the where's Waldo tracker. Um, <laughs> but, but he is actually in scenes just with a ball cap on, like watching what is going on, which I thought was really clever. Um, now I, I'm going to ask you guys this and Rob, I'll let you go first because I know I have read this complaint. You know, one of the complaints about this movie was, Yes, Mysterio is really well is really well done. When he fights, it's amazing. His projections are great. The scene with the drones with him and Peter and those illusions that he pulls on Peter with Iron Man coming out of the grave, like I think that's fantastic work. However, I have heard major complaints that oh my god, does anybody be like does anybody not become evil because of Tony Stark? Like can we just get away from this from two seconds? Cause here's another disgruntled Stark employee that comes into the fray. So Rob, I'll, I'll get your take on that first. I, I kind of think some of the motivations of, of why they pulled this team together. Um, again, it, you could have written these characters as having motivations that had literally nothing to do with Tony. And it's once again how I had said the the shadow of Tony is cast over this this whole movie. And I don't know that you needed that. I, I think it's cool that they grabbed the guy from the original Iron Man movie that was being berated uh, by Obadiah Stane. You know, that Tony built this thing out of scrap metal in a cave in Afghanistan. You know, that that whole scene has is, is always been great. Um, I love that they kind of grabbed that guy and brought him forward, but I don't know that. Why do you need Tony to be a part of this? Like you could have really done almost anything with this movie. And, and I think it would have been hard for, for you not to talk about him a little bit um, just in Peter's mourning for his, I mean, his hero, 100%. This is Tony was his hero. Um, You couldn't do it without, without acknowledging that, but, I don't know why you actually really need all of these people to be former employees. Like, okay, so they, they got the glasses. What are you going to do now? Like you're going to make Mysterio a a big fake hero. Like you didn't think at some point somebody was going to kind of figure that like, what was, what's their end game here? And I don't mean to like make a bad pun, but like, where were they going with this? What was like, what was kind of like their, you know, begin with the end in mind to steal one of the seven habits. Like what was the end here? Where were they working towards? He's already dead. You can't get revenge on him. He's dead. Um, again, I, <laughs> I great points, Harrison. I'm going to let you go. Um, where, are your, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I, I kind of second everything Rob said, but I'm not like too bothered by the Tony Stark thing. Like that's just par for the course with the MCU. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of mentality. Uh, but I. It's, Tony Stark or otherwise, I think that the motivations of Mysterio or, or Quentin Beck are like really dumb. Like, like Rob just said, like, okay, what's the ultimate objective? Also, like, okay, people laughed at you, so you're willing to like kill thousands of people, including a kid. Like, like how do 
how do people how are we trained to believe that this is how people are like oh my gosh my science project failed let me become a mass killer so that i can pretend to be a hero i, I just like what uh, it doesn't work for me that someone would change that much uh i don't know it, it feels really the other thing is, i mean that's to me, sociopathic that, behavior right like how could you interact with somebody and look them in the eye and tell them man i care about you a lot and then it's sociopathic behavior that just doesn't really fit how normal people act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also feels very short-term to me. Like, oh, yeah, we don't really need to worry about Mysterio's motives too much because he's not going to stick around as a villain. You know, like, whose motives do we talk about continually to this day? Thanos, because he was thought out because he was going to be around for a while. Um, you know, anybody else? <laughs> you know, it, it just... It, it feels like, okay, hey, we want to use Mysterio. Here's a cool way we can do it with drones and have it be visual effects. Like, that's a cool idea. Uh, oh, okay, let's just say that he had a project that got laughed at, so we just, you know, I don't know. It, it feels really kind of short-term to me, uh, both in Quentin Beck's thinking, but also just script writing thinking feels very short-term to me, uh, which, I mean, is fine. That's, again, par for the course with the MCU and their villains to be kind of a one-hit wonder type thing. Uh, I don't know. That's that's my biggest complaint. Is is while I'm enjoying Jake Gyllenhaal performance, while I'm enjoying that, man, we got such a, like a comic accurate twist on Mysterio. You know, he's not in the exact same as Mysterio, but the look of it and the feel of it is the same. And they made a new idea, and it's really really fun. But couldn't they put like put him in the story in a better way? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I uh, again, it, it's hard for me to sit here and you know, come back and be like, well, no, here's this. But for some reason, I just, none of that bothers me in this, in this movie, so to speak, where I just thoroughly from start to finish, I just really enjoy the story. I really enjoy what, you know, the, again, the development from my perspective on Peter, um, you know, trying to finally be like, and Harrison, again, I can see where you're like, well, I liked it more in Homecoming because this kind of feels like a, a, a rehash. Um, I still don't share that feeling. I feel like it's a progression of where he goes from Homecoming too far from home. So, but really, really good stuff. And I know, you know, you guys aren't the only two people that think that. I've I've talked to people, I've read stuff where a lot of those feelings are the same about Far From Home compared to Homecoming. And you know, Harrison, you've seen, you know, these phase four movies. I, I have not. Rob has not. It, it does seem well, we've like seen Black Widow. Yeah, that's Shang-Chi. Yeah, those are both part of uh, phase four. Yeah, uh, I have not seen Shang-Chi. I forgot, Rob, you Ooh. did. Oh, yeah. oh, you're missing out. Yeah, so I have not watched that yet. So um, it, it does seem, though, like they have really with those ones, certainly um, it doesn't look like no way home is going to be that way it looks like they are getting away from this shadow of tony stark so again like trying to bookend all you know this huge saga and really you know iron man again rob we talked about this in our in our recap if iron man fails if iron man is not even if it's mediocre and has like okay box office results does does any of this happen um because nobody expected Iron Man to be the hit that it was, but it does seem like they have started to really get away from this. Tony Stark controls everything in the MCU. Um, Harrison, since you've seen 
you know, more of the phase four stuff. Does that seem accurate? Uh, yeah, it does. It feels like we're branching out to, um, it, it, it feels like in the MCU, we've been on one lane, so to speak. Like we've been on the, the lane of Tony Stark and his immediate sphere. And now we're branching out to people who exist outside of that. And it's, it's exciting. The world is getting fleshed out a lot more. And, and let's not forget that the Marvel TV shows are all considered part of phase four as well. And I, I don't know that you could say that he's got any impact on WandaVision um, minimally, uh, unless there's something I'm, I'm missing, you know, from a, from a while ago. Um, you know, I guess he created vision, but it's not even really about discussed. You know, that's not even really discussed as a major plot point. Um, you know, certainly nothing to do with Loki. Um, you know, and I don't think that Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, it's got so much more to do with the legacy of Captain America than it does Iron Man. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all very accurate. Yeah, he he created Vision, but it's not like a, a, a talking point in that show. So, you know, it, it is interesting to see them start to branch away, but really have the responsibility of this being, you know, OK, this is the final like this is the final chapter the closing notes on this huge world that we created but i I will talk about because rob you and i talked about this too i think you know this right here after watching this again to me where he's fighting the drones and what appears to be he actually has his spider sense where i know that was uh a topic of conversation for certain fans about, so does he actually have a spider sense in this universe? I, I think it's kind of, he's got something when he starts recognizing the drones and going through, um, this is such a good representation of Spider-Man. And I thought they did a really good job in homecoming, but here I do like the fact that it seems in certain areas, it's definitely kicked up in terms of what he does as Spider-Man and his agility. Yeah, I think when you think about the the way that he fights, the web swinging, just the if you're if you're a long-term fan of Spider-Man and you write down what's important to the character, after you get past his uncle Ben was murdered, it's his fault, great power, great responsibility. Like once you get past all that stuff and write down what's important to have in something related to Spider-Man, um, there's a lot of it here. Um you know, he does feel like, you know, that he has his real world problems that also bleed over into his alter ego superhero lifestyle and, and the superhero lifestyle bleeds into his personal life and, and back and forth. You know, there's there's definitely the impacts both ways. Um, I'm telling you, though, if I'm a kid at this school, I'm transferring because, man, this high school and the kids that go to this high school just always seem to be in crazy amounts of peril at all times, uh, nonstop in ways that no other high school ever does. Yeah. I'm I'm probably asking for a transfer. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just go to public school. I don't need to go to the science high school. Harrison, I I think I might've cut you off there. I'm sorry. Oh no. I I was just kind of laughing at what Rob said. I, this has, I don't really have anything to comment besides in my high school. When I went there, we have just our general public high school. It was called Cottonwood high school. And then it was, we had this other high school, it was called Ames, is like academic of engineering, math, and science, and so, something else. Like, it was, it was really kind of similar to the school that Peter Parker goes to. And so now I think about all those people that went to Ames that I had interactions with, and now like imagining Peter that way, and it's just funny. Like, <laughs> just weird, like a weird fourth wall break. 
<laughs> I'm good at causing havoc and things like that and, and trying to make you hate things that you thought you loved. There you go. Uh, um, so I want to ask one more question. I haven't heard too many complaints, but I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. So we, you know, we find out I, we get the really good scene of him getting turned on, which I, I thought was a really good scene and him, you know, happy coming to rescue, you know, to, to get Peter and Peter being like, is that actually you? Is this a trick? But what's with the obsession of having Spider-Man have so many different costumes and like not, what do you think of this suit? Because it's, you know, it's not the traditional Spider-Man suit that we know, like granted the symbols there, the, you know, the mask and everything. But I, I've talked to a couple of people that don't understand, like, why is Spider-Man in a black and red suit? Uh, I don't know. Are they trying to sell more toys, more Halloween costumes? Um, maybe they're trying to find more skins you have to unlock in the PlayStation game. Um, there's been a lot of variations of the Spidey suit, but it, they all kind of follow a very similar look. I mean, largely, it's just the the traditional red and blue look. Um, unless they're really just trying to differentiate themselves from some previous versions of the character. That's, that's the only thing I, I can really think. Uh, it, it's weird to me, especially because I ha- I just have a problem with Peter Parker's suit in general in the MCU. Uh, I call it, it's called floating head. I'm going to ruin so many MCU movies for you. They do so much of this stuff with visual effects after the fact that they don't give them a physical suit. Like, in the later films, Tony Stark or, or Robbie Downey Jr. is like never wearing a suit. Like all they have is this little thing around their neck so that they have something in contact with their skin, like a ring, almost like a choker necklace that they wear. And then everything else is added digitally. So like and, and so you get this weird thing where it looks like their head is floating on their shoulders. And it drives me nuts whenever I watch this movie. Like that genuinely, I've been waiting to bring it up is one of the reasons I have the hardest time wanting to watch this movie again is because I think about it and I think about a floating head and I'm like, ah, I don't want to watch that. I I don't want to, I don't know. Maybe I'm like really being nitpicky here, but it's just weird to me that like, it it feels weird to just be like, oh yeah, we're going to have this really, really cool suit. It's going to look awesome. Oh, let's just add it digitally. And it, it makes the suit feel intangible, uh, which just makes everything every threat, every danger that Peter's experiencing less tangible to me and makes it less threatening. Uh, which isn't directly related to the design of the suit, but just the problem I have with it. No, the, uh, the floating head syndrome is, it's very apparent in infinity war when they're having the conversation about what the plan is and what the strategy, like oh. when they zoom over to Peter and uh, Stark after, Again, it's a hysterical line when <laughs> he's like, so what do those two do? Take names, kick or kick ass, take names. And <laughs> like Tony's just standing there. But yeah, it like it's very apparent that that floating head syndrome in that scene. Um, it's also very apparent in Endgame when he comes back. And yeah, like thinking about it, that's it, it definitely, you know, rears its ugly head in, in this movie as well. I have talked multiple times, multiple, multiple times about how much I prefer practical effects, like real things, real people being there. Um, If you had to take a stab who the 
who maybe the most popular character in Disney's entire portfolio is right now. Um, it's not Spider-Man, it's not Iron Man, it's not Mickey, it's Baby Yoda. Uh, and one of the smartest things they did on The Mandalorian was not make him a cartoon by making, and there's times where he is CG, but mostly he's a Muppet. And that it just works so much better because you see a real thing. You know that the lighting that is reflecting off of Mando is also reflecting off of Baby Yoda and makes him look like he's really there because he is really there when you can do things practically and and look, I know it's a superhero movie. Like you can't practically swing a guy the way that he does all the time. There's certain things you have to do in post-production. There's certain things you have to animate, but when they, when they do more than they need to um, it can be really distracting and really obvious. And it, it, I think Harrison said it great, you know, it removes the sense of danger because you know, you're watching a cartoon. There's nothing about it. And the Fast and the Furious movies are lousy with this, by the way. Like when you know that that's not a real car doing that real thing, you you don't care about the danger for the character because you know it's a cartoon. Yeah, very, very, very good point. So I, I want to talk about we get to the ending of the movie and what were you guys' thoughts? Because I had, you know, no clue obviously he's able to defeat Mysterio, but this really kicked into motion. Like, Oh man, like what is actually going forward with the MCU? And I still feel like part of this is unresolved because one, how long has geez, if one of you remember the character's name, please let me know. Um, But how long has the scroll been, impersonating Nick Fury in his place. Talos. Talos, thank you. Why is Nick Fury in space? What is he doing up there? Um, But, you know, the the really big reveal was J. Jonah Jameson is existent in this world and Spider-Man is outed, which is going to lead directly into No Way Home. I think it actually, from what I've heard, No Way Home actually picks up at that scene where he is outed. at the end of this movie. So, you know, what were you guys thoughts when this movie ended? And I still feel like we have no clue, like really what's going on with Nick Fury and when we're going to, to maybe get that answer, unless it's something that maybe came up in Eternals. And I, you know, I have not seen that. I'm waiting until January 12th on Disney plus, you know, I, I guess my first question when I saw the, the, uh, Jay Jonas, you know, first of all, I was very excited. Hey, they brought J.K. Simmons back. I'm super excited about that. Um, but my kind of thought was, when exactly did Mysterio have time to, like, get his phone out and take a selfie of all this? Like, what? when did that all happen? Like, and I guess what was, was it just kind of like a as on his deathbed, he sort of decided, ah, I'm going to get you, Peter Parker. So he decided to do, like, what was the point? Like, what, what was he? I don't know. I, I guess it just felt weird to me. Like, I didn't understand it. Um, it, it just didn't seem like there was going to be time for that. Um, so I, I, but I'm curious, you know, what their reasoning is for why, you know, it's the same actor. I, I just, I'm just super glad we have JK Simmons back. Um, I f- feel completely confused by the true end credit scene where we find out that, uh, Hill and, uh, Fury have been scrolls this whole time. Um, I don't think I like it. I don't think I like that they're not actually there. I, I, 
I feel like it's would have been much better for them to have been there so that it was truly them this whole time. Like, I don't know. I like, I like them as characters. I like them together and to have that sort of, I don't want to say betrayed by the fact that they were never there to begin with. Um, I, I don't know the word I mean, but it's probably not betrayed. It's something kind of similar to that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm confused by it. I don't know what's going to happen next. And I don't think I really like it. To continue off of that, it, it, it reminds me of just this growing problem I have with the MCU. And maybe I'm just become really cynical lately, but that like, there are too many things going on at once. Um, I made this jokes once about all the things happening in the MCU at once. And it was like 25 different items all happening independently, which of course they're individual stories. They should happen individually. And I don't expect everything to be the same, but it's just like, well, I wasn't expecting to, for my feelings about Nick Fury and, and um, Maria Hill to be sabotaged in a Spider-Man movie. And I get that they're all connected. I, that part to me just feels like there's just too much going on and, and the things are going to get messy. And it also makes me worry that things are going to be left behind. Um, like that, that has not been brought up since. And I know a ton hasn't happened in the MCU with a lot of delays, but like nothing's happened with it. Not not a single thing. Um, I, I don't know. So there's just, just in general, I just, it, it makes me concerned that what we have loved for so long is just going to get really, really messy. I don't know if you two have read multiverse comics before and tried to like stay up to date on every timeline in it. Like it's exhausting to try and keep that many things going on in your brain at once. And I, that's, that's just one of my biggest fears going forward with the MCU. Also biggest excitements is like, Oh my gosh, this is really exciting. Like it's, it's, it's very two faced in me right now that one part of me is like, Oh my, this is a mistake. The other part of me is this is really, really fun. So yeah, just, I think one of the brings biggest, up all those emotions. Yeah. I think one of the biggest concerns I have about the end credit scene is, you know, we're super fans. We're going to see, everything they put out, whether we, we see it in theaters, we watch it on Disney plus there's not going to be MC related content that we're going to skip. Um, and I think there are a lot of fans that are very much like that. My question is when you get casual fans that pick and choose, like they know Spider-Man's a big hero, you know, maybe they like Tom Holland, they like Zendaya, like they want to go see that. Um, maybe they haven't seen all of them. They pick and choose, you know, if there's a, a character they really resonate with or an actor that they really like, or they've heard really good things, they'll go see it. Um, how does a casual fan sit in their theater? They know that Marvel movies always have an end credit scene. So they watch that. Maybe they've seen all the films. Likely they haven't. They sit there and they go, what? And they, and they look at their nerd friends. They look to people like us for explanations and we go, you know, I'm shrugging my shoulders here. You can't see it because this is audio, but like, I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll find out in two years. Um, that's kind of one of the concerns I think I have. Yeah, I mean, I think so, Harrison, you said, you know, this in phase four so far, this hasn't been brought up. So, you know, we have no clue from Loki what's going on with Nick Fury. We have no clue. I'm not going to count Black Widow because, you know, it takes place before Civil War. The end credit scene obviously leads in. But so far, we have no clue about Nick Fury because of Hawkeye, because of Captain America and the winner, you know, well, Falcon and then, you know, renamed at the end of it, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. 
uh, Eternals has not shed light on this. Uh, Shang-Chi has not shed light on this. It doesn't appear like No Way Home is going to shed light on this. Um, You know, certainly has, you know, spoilers for anybody who's seen Venom, Let There Be Carnage. There are certainly indications that some of the end credit scenes, it will get at least not completely worked out, but we'll probably know the direction. You know, Morbius feels like whatever's going on with there will get some answers as to what they're doing with those things. And right now, I'm just kind of like, where would this actually come? Like, where would this come in? Like, how are they going to be Captain Marvel, too? Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's like, where are they going to When's that even coming? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's the Secret Invasions uh, show that's being filmed right now. Right. I don't know when that comes out. Yeah, it just it does feel like a long time until it's going to be like, well, what is you know, what is Fury doing in space? And, you know, is it the multiverse? Is it a bigger threat? Like, who knows? Maybe it's, you know, my my fingers are crossed. Maybe it's Galactus. But it, it does seem like there was that scene. At least we could you know in the first avengers movie we get the end credit scene with thanos we weren't really sure when we were going to get him but i think anybody who was a fan could understand like okay we know what this will eventually lead to i have no clue what fury in space is going to lead to and it just feels like an abundance of time with absolutely no answers and almost like they could just at the drop of a dime be like Mm, I wonder if anybody actually even remembers that. So let's just ignore it. And it's weird because the way that Fury has been used previously has been in the big team up. So, you know, when you get things like uh, the Avengers films, um, he's used for that. And then he was used a lot in, um, you know, the, and single films when it's much more the espionage related stuff, you know, in, in Captain America and the winter soldier. And then we saw him prominently in, um, Captain Marvel why we put him in space Fury as a character the stories that you tell with Nick Fury doesn't work in space I, I don't like that's where you do Guardians of the Galaxy that's that's where you do the Fantastic Four eventually that's not where you do a spy thriller it's, yeah I, I totally agree Harrison sorry uh, what are your oh, thoughts I, I didn't mean to interrupt you it's just interesting there's there's this really cool detail in um, that I was going to bring in the next segment but it makes sense to mention now at at the end when um, it's either when Peter, yeah, it's when Peter is swinging and he comes down to meet MJ. Like he hasn't picked her up yet at the, for the kind of the end of the film, he swings down and there's a sign behind him uh, that says, we're so excited to show you what comes next. And it has a one, a two, a three, and then a question mark. Like it's totally a hint to phase four, which is kind of fun. But I look at that now that we're in phase four and I think, well, what the heck is next? Like, we're, we're decently into phase four and I don't, I don't get it. Like, yeah, WandaVision was great. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is great. Loki was great. I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm sure is going to be great. You know, I, I really like Shang-Chi, but, but like what's going on? I don't know. It, it, it is getting me very, very concerned about the multiverse. It's exhausting. And it, it destroyed the comics in like the late seventies and eighties when they first did it. So I, I, I don't know. There's this really lately the last few days, this very, very cynical side of me that just like, yes, no way home with what we believe is going to happen. Sounds really, really fun. 
the multiverse of madness with Doctor Strange sounds really, really, really fun. But where do you go after that? And and like, what is actually happening besides just like fun things? Uh, and I don't know. I'm thinking about this stuff way too much, and that and it's weird that these things affect a movie viewing experience that much. But it it is on heavily on my mind, and maybe I'm just maybe I need to like take a break and think about something else. <laughs> well, so Harrison, just remember how we overthought everything for WandaVision and uh, didn't just kind of enjoy the ride and tried to make something out of everything. Remember we all had these theories about who the engineer was and that ultimately was like, it was like nothing that was not a character, like didn't have any impact on the show. Yeah. I think I just need to calm down. Yeah. It's, we'll see. I, yeah. It, it's hard though. Right. Because of everything that's like announced and, you know, it just, you know, one thing for for me, I do know. So you both have seen Chong Chi. You know, one thing that's confusing though is when you say like, "Oh, geez, maybe it's just like, okay, settle down." What, you know, let's just see what happens. But that end credit scene, it, I know what the end credit scene is, and it just like, it confuses me to, okay, well, what is going on in the time, like what is going on in the timeline? Because I'm not going to say spoilers, but one character is not, you know, how you remember, you know, one character is not how you remembered him the last time he was on screen. Another character isn't that way as well. So it almost feels too, like with everything being, you know, certain things maybe getting delayed or, you know, gaps in between. And some of these scenes that are coming out, it's just like, okay, well, where is everything actually taking place um, inside this universe? Because at least before, I wasn't really confused at where the timeline was for all of these movies lining up. Uh, the, the further we get, I do find myself going, okay, well, when is this actually taking, like, where does this take place in contrast to their other material? You know, kind of piggybacking off of something Harrison said that trying to keep this all straight is almost a little bit frustrating and, and not a lot of fun. Um, again, thinking back to the casual fan that's sitting in the theater watching Chong Chi or watching it on Disney Plus going, you know, asking those same questions that you just asked, Matt, like, are we getting to the point where the MCU is so ambitious, planting so many seeds for the future that it gets confusing for the audience and they kind of just stop caring because I can kind of imagine that the character you're referencing is, we're probably going to find out why he is that way in a future, you know, series that's likely going to be on Disney plus that's, that's likely what I expect to happen. But if you have to like do a Google image search for when all this stuff happens in timeline, because it happens before and as opposed to everything happening chronologically, um, it does get really confusing. And when you screw around with the timeline, <laughs> both on film and how you release your, your television and films, um, it gets confusing. Like I have a lot of problems with Captain Marvel in, in the way that it's a prequel. I have a lot of some issues with black widows in the way that it's a prequel and doesn't necessarily, make a lot of sense when you place it in context and what happens after it that actually happened before it in, in terms of what got released, there's a real danger in, in messing with this, that the continuity is going to get goofy or things are just not going to make sense. And that's where you start losing your casual fan, that it's just too much work to keep track of it. Um, 
the casual fan who probably doesn't listen to this show. They should, because then they'd know, like we'd tell them what's going on. Um, but not everybody is going to do that. Great point, Harrison. Anything you want to follow up with on that? I'll just say that I hope they work it out because I want them to be successful. I just remember one time I was reading, in fact, the Civil War II comic. And uh, I don't remember exactly what it was that, hap- that happened. But there was something that happened in the comic that literally made no sense to me that I had to Google the page number to figure out what was going on. And all these threads were like, oh, you've got to read this other comic. you got to read this Captain Marvel comic and then this Thor comic and then this Spider-Man comic. Oh, and don't forget this this Doctor Strange comic and this Iron Man one. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like, I'm trying to read this book. I don't want to read four others to understand what's happening on this one page. And yeah. it really bothered me. And I just don't want that to happen. I, I'm, I, I shouldn't put the, chick, the cart before the horse the chicken before the egg wrong phrase <laughs> i should put the <laughs> cart before the horse but i like i worry that even people who are big fans like me will just get annoyed and we'll just go back to what we love like you know what i really like homecoming i really like this i really like shang chi i really like winter soldier i'm gonna go watch that instead of this other thing that takes too much work uh we like you know, it's funny you mentioned it's funny you mentioned that harrison i was a long time amazing spider-man subscriber uh when i was in middle school and high school, one of the reasons I gave up my subscription was there was a period of time where Marvel published four Spider-Man books a month. There was Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, just regular Spider-Man. And I don't remember what the fourth one was, but what was happening was every month, Amazing Spider-Man would come out and it would be referencing something that happened in one of the other books. Like it would continue on the story. You literally had to read three if not four of them you had to subscribe to all of them to be able to get a cohesive story because it would pick up where the other one left off and then the next month your issue of amazing spider-man had nothing to do with the previous issue you had just read the month before and that was one of the reasons i gave it up at the time uh was just like i i'm not subscribing to four comics you know like at the time i just that wasn't financially something i could do and i didn't have the time for it either um and it almost feels like maybe it's heading that way with what they're doing on television and film. I I think a lot of fans are going to come along with them. Uh, Certainly they're not in any danger of going out of business anytime soon. Let's let's like, don't get me wrong there. Um, But you wonder about certain fans fatigue. If they're not a super fan that are going to consume everything, um, will they get tired of that? Will they feel, you know, disappointed or frustrated? Even super fans are going to feel frustrated. I'm a little bit frustrated. Yeah. I, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm talking about this way more than I expected to. But it's just really interesting to me, especially in context of what we believe is happening in No Way Home. Like, none of us have seen it yet. But, I mean, like, who doesn't at least hear the theories, you know? Clearly, I mean, even in the trailers, we know that the villains from the other Spider-Man films are there. So I've been, like, really worried to see what the reaction has been. Just on Letterboxd alone, like, the reaction is kind of ridiculous. Like, surprising so i just looked just to quickly mention it there's uh i can't see how many reviews there are here um but on letterbox for spider-man homecoming is that like a 3.6 i I think out of i can't see how many ratings are is that a 3.6 out of 5 okay uh spider-man far from home at a 3.5 out of 5 i know it's only like the third day that it's been released spider-man no way home 4.4 out of 5 with over 20,000 five-star ratings. Like, what is going on? (laughs) So maybe they figured it out. Maybe it really worked. Uh, Yeah. 
I don't know what it had to do with anything. I had something else I was going to say, and I just forgot. So Yeah, I mean, if it's still holding, um, two hours ago, you know, granted, it's still within its first time frame, but there's there's so many. If you go on any movie website, there's so many showings of this right now that started at like four o'clock today for like actual theaters. Um, no Way Home was still a a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which, again, I'm not saying Rotten Tomatoes is like the end all be all. But with people review bombing and everything in between, you don't see that. So, you know, but again, is it because the movie is that good? Is it a nostalgia kick because maybe what people wanted <laughs> is exactly what happens? Um, I do know that it's actually doing some really crazy money, though, in what they can already tell. <laughs> so kind of it, it'll be really interesting to see what what this movie is. I, I know I'm really excited to go see it. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I want it to be really successful. I just went on Rotten Tomatoes. As of now, it's at a 95% from the critics and a 99% from the audience. You know, I just refreshed Letterboxd. A thousand more reviews were just posted. And now it's at 30,000 five-star reviews. So clearly there's a positive reception to it, uh, which makes me excited. I really, really want it to be good because I've been kind of struggling with my excitement with the MCU. Um, and, and this is like rejuvenating that, but I'm, I'm like uh, being really timid about it. So I want it to be good. I just don't want it to be like a temporary, hey, this was fun in like the moment. Good, if you get what I mean. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. So let's move on. Last segment of the show. We're going to roll the credits here. This is where we talk about any interesting facts about the movie, maybe some box office records that this thing happened, and give our actual overall rating one through five reels. Uh, nothing's ever gotten a zero, so that's that's why we stick to one to five. But who knows? Maybe one day. So uh, I do find it interesting with all of the success Spider-Man had. Um, this was the first Spider-Man movie to hit a billion dollars worldwide um, at, at the box office. I, I, I do find that rather interesting because, again, you look at all of the praise that Spider-Man 2 got and you know how well that you know, was received. So for this to be the first one that was, you know, bumped over a million, I, I thought was kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, that is really weird to me, especially because I just watched Spider-Man two and had like an awesome reception to it and absolutely loved it. I'm like, what is it about this one that got the audience to latch onto it uh, more so than others? I don't know. This is, I'm not a box office analyst, but it, it is really interesting to me. Um, it also just, to me, it's how can I say this the right way? I'm glad that Tom Holland is getting that much uh, reception because I think his portrayal of Spider-Man is deserving of that. I think in a lot of cases, you look at what just came before this and the emotional gut punch that's the ending of Endgame um, and the way that that film sent off uh, the 22 films including that one prior to it um i think people loved spider-man in the mcu loved homecoming uh certainly endgame did did okay at the box office from what i remember um i think there was a lot of people that were just clamoring for whatever was next and i i think that led to a lot of people going to the theaters to see this yeah i i do think there was a 
a sense of, well, geez, we have to see, because they really did like market this as this is the bookend to this huge saga that we just created. So I do think there was some sort of, well, geez, we have to go, like, we have to see this and and where it's going to lead into the next phase. So, uh, guys, anything else that you found interesting about this, like any behind the scenes stuff? No, I just wish that they would have added a heart elemental too, and they could have summoned Captain Planet. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> they had the earth, fire, wind, and water one. The only thing they were missing was heart. Maybe we can go back and do a director's cut. Well, no, they, they were trying to summon the Avatar. They were trying to find Aang. Oh, gee. <laughs> uh, uh, funny detail I have is you mentioned this earlier, and I just loved it when Beck mentions that he is from a different universe. He mentions that Peter is from Earth 616. Like, that's just so fun. Like, to comic book readers, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Even though we they have a number, I think it's like Earth. Uh, like 1600 or something like that. This MCU it's, it has a six in it. I forget what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they actually mention earth six, one, six, two in one of the Thor movies. I think it's, it's actually in Thor, the dark world when, um, uh, Eric, the professor is writing on one of the chalkboards. He actually has earth six, one, six circled on there as well. Oh, interesting. I've blocked out all of the dark world. So I did not remember. That <laughs> <laughs> so all right, we're going to, we're going to switch focus here to our real rating. Um, I, I'm going to go last because I'll just be, uh, I'll be curious to see what you guys say. So Harrison, I'm going to let you go first. Where do you, where do you rate this movie? Did, you know, if you had to have rated it back then, do you think this has changed? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, actually, let me say this. I, I had like an initial reaction to it where I like really loved it. And then I revisited uh, probably like a year ago and it was kind of just like, eh, like I just had a meh reaction to it. And now I think I've kind of landed somewhere in between, um, where I'm not as harsh towards it, but I'm also just recognizing like, Hey, I don't love this and I'm not going to, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not going to force myself to. Because I, I, I almost like felt bad for not liking it, like I was doing something wrong, um, and now I've just kind of like accepted that. Yeah, hey, it doesn't work for me, and that's okay. So, I do want. Would you want me to get my rating out of the reels? Yeah, yeah. Go go ahead. Where would this actually rate on the reel scale? Uh, yeah, it's just like a solid three, solid three out of five. You know, there's things about it that I really, really like. There's things about it that don't. As a whole, it's watchable, but it leans towards just the like, hey, it's passable but not quite there. Like there's enough redeemable parts of it that I have positive things to say about it. Besides just say, yeah, it's, it's, you know, good enough. So three is just kind of where it ends up. Rob, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go next. Um, I'm not far off, uh, three and a quarter reels for me. Um, it's, it's better than average. I mean, you, you give me that scene where happy shows up and Peter asks him to identify himself. And then that whole scene on the plane, it's great. They're great together. Tom Holland is great. This is Peter Parker becoming a man. By the end of this movie, I do not view Peter Parker as Iron Man's sidekick. I view him as a legitimate hero in his own right. And I love watching that journey with him that we see in this movie. But there are so many other things to me that just don't add up, don't make sense. Uh, I, I just, I don't know why they, they've made those choices. Um, so, yeah. 3.25 reels. Okay, so I am 
way, way on the other end of the spectrum, I feel like. So I actually have this at four and a half reels. And the reason why I have it at four and a half is because I just like this movie. And I will completely say I agree with everything you guys are saying. I understand every single point that you have made about what does work, what doesn't work, little nuances that, you know, particularly, you know, annoy you. You didn't use that word. Um, but I just, I watch this movie and I just have a blast. It, are there things, like I said, that I agree with and some of it doesn't make sense? Yes. But my enjoyment and how I just feel about this movie once it's done, I, I just overlook all of those things and I have a blast watching this. So it, it's four and a half for me. While I think that's way higher than I would ever grant uh, rank this, there are things here that if you enjoy the things that work about this movie enough, they work so well to cover up the problems. The Tom Holland is kind of like spackle in this movie because there's holes in this movie and he fills them. He just fills them by being good at what he does, by being there's, there's not a character, there's not an actor in this movie that he plays opposite of where the scene doesn't work. And if if you tell me four and a half, yes, absolutely four and a half, I get it. I, I understand why a person would really love this movie. I want to love this movie more than, than I do. I just can't. But I understand, Matt, 100% why you would give this four and a half. <laughs> I, I just want to add that I appreciate that we can have a conversation like this. This something that's been really exhausting for me, and I'm just like, this has nothing to do with this episode, but is it seeing like the, the tribalistic mentality people have in their appreciation of movies that almost like we can't talk to each other if we have disagreeing opinions. So right. this was just refreshing and I, I appreciate it. And I also just second what Rob said, like, like if I, I there are things about this that really do work and I wish me personally, with my own writing, I wish I could have them in a different movie so that I could like the entire thing instead of just liking aspects of it. But I'm glad that it works for somebody because I think that it's there. there's a talent in it. And so I'm glad that it works. Yeah. So, Rob, normally this is where we would kind of, you know, thank listeners. Harrison, we'd have you plug the basement binge. We're still going to do that. But before we roll into those things, Rob, I'll let you introduce this. We just wanted to do kind of a quick little segment here. So, Rob, why don't you walk us through that and, and pose the question that you posed to Harrison and myself and listeners. We'd probably love for you to chime in on this segment one hundred percent. Oh what God! You're yes. gonna think. Um, so uh, this will be the last show, likely, that the three of us have a chance to be on together before we hit Christmas. So, uh, what I what I asked the guys before we went on air was, if you had to make a Christmas wish for the TV and film industry, what is it that you would ask for? What would you want Santa to bring you uh, for the TV and film industry? Um, this year for Christmas, what would you ask for? And I 100% want to hear from the listeners on this comment on any of the social media platforms, email the show. Uh, what is it that you would ask for? If you're writing a, a Christmas list of Santa for the TV and film industry, uh, what is it that you would ask for? 
All right. So are we are we just sticking to the MCU or are we sticking are we doing movies in general? Whole industry. Okay. Whole industry. TV and film together. All right. So um I, I'm gonna say my absolute biggest wish for film is going to be somehow, some way, it can be a cameo. I know he says he is done. I need some kind of cameo from Hugh Jackman in one of these Marvel movies that shows him as, <laughs> as Wolverine in the costume. Um, if that happens, just some... You want the orange and black or the yellow and blue? I want the orange and black because if you've watched the Wolverine and you've watched the extended cut, which mm, has the alternate yep. ending, and you've seen that suit in the briefcase... Uh, my God, am I upset that we never got that costume because <laughs> it's amazing. Um, my, my biggest thing, my biggest wish would be uh, we get one more appearance appearance from Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And honestly, it can be a, a small, small cameo. I, I just, I would love that. That's a good one. Yeah. I uh, mean, so, <laughs> so mine, uh, I've got two. Um, for the TV and film industry, I want a designated person to sit in the writer's room whose sole responsibility is to ask, why is this happening? That's what I want. I want somebody to just be the designated person to say, um, why is this going on? Explain to me why this is happening. And if you as a writer cannot accurately explain why it is happening, you are not allowed to write that scene. Uh, the second thing that I want for the TV and film industry is my Christmas wish is I just really want the DCEU to get their crap together and figure out what they're doing. Like, is this connected? Is it not connected? Is the Snyderverse restored? Is it not restored? Are we pretending like this exists? Is it doesn't exist? What are we doing? I, I want those movies to be good. You think about Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, three of the most important and most recognizable figures in all of comics. And it doesn't seem like there's really a cohesive way forward uh, for what's what's going on there. And I want it to work. I want it to be effective. I want them to do their own thing. Um, but I, I, I just want something cohesive. I, I want it to all fit. Harrison, you're, you're next, man. What, what what do you got? Uh, the first one that I have, and I have, a, I have a second one that I don't quite have the words to explain. So if I do, I'll try. But the first one I have immediately came to mind is in the new Spider-Verse film. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We have Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, played by the incredible Oscar Isaac, uh, who is Hispanic. And then we have Miles Morales, who is half Puerto Rican, half black. I would love for the two of them, not just for one line, but throughout the entire film, to not the entire film, not every single line, but naturally within their characters, to talk to each other in Spanish. And only have a little text box that has an asterisk and says translated from Spanish, like in the comics, and says what they're saying. I think that that would just be fun. I think that would be great and really honest to the character of Miles Morales, who gets upset when people don't know that he's half Puerto Rican. I also think that it would do phenomenal things in getting people into international films and over subtitles. There are some great films out there that I think, how cool would that be to have a, a, the incredibly powerful character of Spider-Man break down barriers and people's perceptions of, you know, subtitles and watching movies with them. I, I just think it would be so much fun. Someone, I, I can't claim this as an original idea. Someone else put it online. And like, now I'm worried that it's not going to happen because that movie will forever be less good. If it doesn't, <laughs> that's how badly I want it. 
Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one more TV, and then I'm gonna do one small movie one. Uh, so for TV, I want Disney and Lucasfilm to put out an act not tied to Obi Wan, an actual Darth Vader TV show that is set between Revenge of the Sith and Episode Four, where he hunts down the Jedi, um, and go from there. That that is what I want from television is I want that or bring back lost. I actually kind of like <laughs> that show. I was, I was thinking about that show the other day. Um, but I, I want that Darth Vader series where he hunts down Jedi. I think that would be, it, it's been done so well in the comics or give us a star Wars unleashed TV show with star killer. Oh, you stole mine. Ooh. Oh, so good. Those are those are both really good. Uh, a Darth Vader TV show. I mean, who doesn't watch that? Yeah. I mean, who who on planet Earth that has a television or has a friend with a television would not watch that? I mean, come on. We need it. We're, we have the Ahsoka series happening. We have the Obi-Wan series happening. We had s- season seven of the Clone Wars, and you're just not going to do a Darth Vader series? Yeah, I, I think... I don't know. I think maybe we could get that. I think... I'm actually really surprised, and I won't go too far into this because I could talk a long time about it. I-, I was taken back by how receptive and how welcomed fans were with Hayden Christensen. I thought it was really mm-hmm. cool to see that when they announced him and he made his appearance, like people were genuinely happy to see him. And you can go back and read some of the things that were said about his portrayal of Anakin Skywalker. And, and, and they're not good. Um, there are people that attack him personally, which is, you know, we've talked about that on shows before, but on episodes before about how people attack these actors and things like that. But to me, it was just really, really cool to see like people embrace that he was coming back. Um, because again, we've said it, nobody hates Star Wars as much as a Star Wars fan. <laughs> um, so yes. I thought that was really cool. So I think judging on the reception of Obi-Wan, I, I think we could get that because I do think there is a lot of positive to Hayden Christensen coming back. And he seems very receptive to doing some more work within the Star Wars universe. But my last movie request, and this is a, it's an odd one. Uh, this guy's gone through some, you know, some life struggles and I think had a really strong performance in Doom Patrol. And I've recently heard rumors that they're in talks to him, for him. I would absolutely love another mummy movie with Brendan Fraser and mm. Rachel Weiss in the roles. Um, I think the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor uh, emperor is really, really bad. I think the chemistry um, I don't even remember the actress who replaced in that movie because um, their chemistry was awful. I would love to see him have one like, you know, who knows? Maybe it won't be one last hurrah, but I would love to see him come back to those to that franchise. The Mummy and the Mummy Returns, they are not, you know, Oscar script movies. But man, do I enjoy those two first films like I have a blast watching those. I would yeah. love to see him back. Yours are really good, Matt, because <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for all of that. Yeah. So, all right, you guys got before we, you know, close out. Do you guys have any other one that you want to throw out there? You took all the good ones. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, th- this is. I have two. I have two that I thought of. Okay. Actually, three. Three. Three very short ones. The first for the Furiosa movie to be released Ooh. relatively soon. Yeah. Good one. Second for Miyazaki's film, latest film, How Do You Live, to also be released really soon. I know it's going to be a while. Um, then the third one is very simple, and this might be controversial. I would love, whether it's in a movie or TV show, I don't really care, to have a continuation of Ray's story with her orange lightsaber, because I think Daisy Ridley does a fantastic job of Ray, and I think everything that she went through, say what you will about the sequel trilogy, I think where that character ended up, name aside, I know so many people have a problem with the name, take the name out of it, where she ended up I think is really interesting canonically in Star Wars, and I think there would be really, really exciting new stories to tell with her, and I would love to see Daisy Risley perform as Ray again. That, those, those would be my wishes. What's weird is I don't feel like there's been a lot of expanded universe stuff that explores the what happens after episode nine. I mean, Matt, you're, you read a lot more of the Star Wars comics. It feels like they're going in between you know episodes three and four a lot more uh, than they really explore anything post nine. There's certainly no video games. There's, there's no TV shows that, or anything. It's, it seems like a big hole that has not been explored. No, they have not done anything post. What they have done, though, is they have done in comics, they have done so much to try and make Rise of Skywalker make more sense. They have introduced everything about why the Emperor would come back in Episode Nine, They have talked about Exegol. Now in the comics, Darth Vader has known about Exegol. They have done so many things to try and make Episode Nine make more sense. And Episode Nine is, is a total guilty pleasure of mine. I absolutely love Agreed. The Rise of Skywalker. Does it make sense? Does it come out of left field? Absolutely. But it's such a guilty pleasure of mine. I absolutely get a kick out of that movie. But yeah, they have done so much to try and be like, oh, no, no, no. There's Here's all these things that these characters know about. And Exegol's been around. And it, it's really actually funny reading the comics to see how much they have tried to loop episode nine into, you know, previous stories, so to speak. So they do more than just the emperor's back somehow. Yeah, no, there, there's so many, like, <laughs> in, in all sincerity, if these things would have came out before, I mean, it still doesn't make sense that he would be, you know, that he's back in terms of there's no hint whatsoever that he was still lingering like in this, like in this part of the universe, but the things that they talk about and people knowing about Exegol beforehand and the Emperor's plan to even in the comics, spoiler, replace Vader um, is all tied into Exegol and the cloning process and everything. So there's some really, really good stories that they've talked about in, in these comic books. But yeah, it's just it, it, it's funny how it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I gotta agree though. Sp- Spider or Spider Man, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, total guilty pleasure. And I think that's kind of part of the reason that I want that. That would my wish would be this 
the story to continue. Two other wishes, just and then I'll be done. I promise. <laughs> the, the two of them that I have is for a trailer or a release date to be announced for Escape from Spiderhead. I mean, when is that movie coming out? I'm waiting for that. Netflix, come on. Second one is to have an adaptation of the book series Michael Vey. Uh, oh, okay. If you guys have not read those books, they are so good. And I think there are so many exciting things in those books that would be really great to watch cinematically. Uh, I think it would convert very well. So, yeah, those are my wishes. All right. Rob, any last ones? Uh, no, I realized how many great ones I should have thought of <laughs> that I didn't uh, because I, I pretty much want a, a lot of that same stuff too. Uh, but what I really want is I would love to hear from listeners. I would love for them to uh, hit us up on any of the social media platforms that you can find the show on and tell us what you think of ours. Tell us what yours are. Uh, you can find Matt goes to the movies on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, you can email the show MGTTM podcast at gmail.com. You can hit up Harrison uh, on the, all the same places. Uh, you can also email his show, bingebasement at gmail.com. And uh, while you're at it, go to podchaser.com and leave a review for the show. Uh, you can leave uh, one star through five stars. While five stars are preferred, honest reviews are best. And uh, leave a review for the show. All right, Harrison, before we say goodbye, plug the basement binge. Um Rob does it so articulately. Thank you so much for that. Um, but if for some reason a listener has just clicked on to this episode and this is the first thing they have uh, heard from Matt Goes to the Movies, tell them about why they should jump over to the basement bench. Uh, well, because it's also fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for the chance to do that. Um, yeah, the basement bench, if you haven't guessed, it's a movie review podcast. Uh, most of the time, it's just me reviewing movies. If I'm lucky, I can get Matt and Rob to join me. Done a lot of fun things. Matt mentioned it started with binging the MCU, so you can check that out. The three of us, we had fun with The Fast and the Furious. Uh, really, really excited things on there. Um, right now, Spider-Man Week is happening, which has been an absolute disaster because I've been working so much overtime at work that it's like, I'm like two episodes into a seven-episode thing, and it's Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> uh so that's messy but anyway uh yeah uh and my busy season at work is coming to an end this saturday i'm looking forward to it so much so there should be a lot of new things coming uh particularly i'm super super excited for animation season coming up it's something that i uh do every year it now it's it's not always been but now it's going to be at the beginning of every year just kind of january february time frame where i get a review um, some of my favorite animation movies. I came up with a new name for it. It's called the Animation Hall of Fave for favorites. So yeah, let, if you enjoy animation and you enjoy talking about movies, check out the Basement Binge for those things coming soon. But really, Matt and Rob, thank you for letting me be here. This is I look forward to this so much all day today. I was just like, okay, I just got to get through work, and then we're going to record a <laughs> podcast. Like, come on, just a few more hours. So thanks for having me. This has been. A- yeah, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you so much to to both of you for being a part of this. You know, uh, the next time that we're, you know, uh, Harrison, unfortunately, Rob, unless unless something changes, I know you're trying to maybe get out there. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to join us for No Way Home. Um, is that still looking doubtful? 
uh, yeah, it's going to be tough because um, the one day I would probably be able to go to, I don't think there's any theaters with tickets still available in my in in the area where we live. All right, maybe I can find. Uh- Maybe I can find it on the fire stick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, tomorrow is, oh man, uh, 10.50, 10.50 Eastern time. I have to wait till to, to go see No Way Home. So, uh, listeners, the next time. I will be seeing it before you then. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, So listeners, the next time we'll be coming at you is for Spider-Man No Way Home. But before we get there, Again, thank you, Rob Harrison, for being a part of this journey that went by in the blink of an eye. Uh, thank you, listeners, for you know being on this journey with us, listening to Matt Goes to the Movies. Hopefully, you've checked out The Basement Binge. If you haven't, check out the show notes because that show will be there. Interact with the social media pages. Let us know what your wishes are for upcoming cinema and television. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to Matt Goes to the Movies.